All right. Well, we're going to continue in our series today in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 today. So make your way there, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. Have a Bible in front of you. Put your finger on the text and follow along as we go through this together. As you make your way to Galatians chapter 3, I want us to focus on, it's going to draw out for us, we're going to see that the Galatians were already drifting from the gospel. They had lost sight already of a key dynamic in the Christian faith, and that's how you grow as a Christian is the same way that you got in, and we're going to see that together. And as you make your way to to Galatians 3, I want to share a short story with you because it's going to highlight what we're going to see from verses 1 through 14 together. So here's the story. I heard this story, I don't remember where, but I heard this story about a church back in the old days, right? And this church had inscribed words on one of their archways, like from their church building to their church courtyard. And the inscription read in this stone wall, The inscription read, we preach Christ crucified. But over time, two things happened. One, the church drifted from the gospel. And then second, the ivy on that stone wall and the inscription began to grow around that sign. And the growth of the ivy started to cover the inscription. As the ivy grew you could only start to see part of the inscription. And the part you could read as the ivy grew was, we preach Christ. So this mirrored the spiritual decline of the church. You go to that church, you'd hear about Christ, but about good messages on how to live like Jesus. The crucified part was covered with ivy. As the ivy began to continue to grow, before long you could only see on the sign, we preach And then as time went by, the ivy keeps growing, right, as ivy does when it takes over everything. And soon enough, it only said we. The focus of that church had become inward focused, was a social club. It was all about their spiritual thoughts and ideas. It just said we. So it went from we preach Christ crucified to we. And that's what we're going to see here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, how quickly that drift, that shift can happen in individual Christians and even in the life of a church. And I just want to say this, in God's good providence, we're in this text today on a Sunday that we're installing a new lead pastor, and the reality of that is not lost on me. So I want you to hear this, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and what God has for us today as a church. So please follow along with me. I'm going to read it aloud for us, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's go to God in prayer together before we plug into our text today. Father God, we come before you today. We need you right now in this very moment. We need to hear from you today. So quiet our hearts and focus us on you. Increase our appetite and taste buds for your gospel now. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, this text is packed, packed full. I want us to see the main path and main idea to it, but there is so much here. So verses one through 14, we're gonna consider three arguments or questions together that Paul is going to use to show you that how you begin the Christian life is how you advance in the Christian life, okay? So our three movements are emphasis. First is in verses one through five, and that's the question, how did they receive the Spirit? And then in verses six through nine, we're going to see how was Abraham made righteous? And then lastly, in verses 10 through 14, we're going to consider how is the curse of the law removed? So first question, how did they receive the Spirit? Let's remember our context, right? This comes right after chapter two, where we saw Paul lovingly rebuke Peter. Peter had started to be out of step with the gospel, right? Well, now right out of the gate in chapter three, Paul shifts his focus back to the Galatians. He just got done lovingly rebuke Peter. And now the rebuke is focused on his dear Galatians, the first church he planted. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says. Look down at, again at verse one through three. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says this again, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul is basically saying, you crazy Galatians, right? You could even read it as you idiots is what he's saying here, okay? Did someone put a spell on you is what he's saying here. Paul's saying something crazy 
has had to happen. And it's obvious that you don't have the crucified Christ as your focus in your life anymore. Wow, how did this drift happen already? Verses one through two tell us the backstory. They tell us how the Galatians actually became Christians, right? They heard the gospel through Paul's preaching of Christ crucified, and they believed it. Look at verse one. It's not saying that the Galatians like physically, literally saw Jesus Christ physically crucified in front of them, but they did see it in some kind of way, didn't they? And they saw it with their hearts. So this is an example, when you look across scripture, an example how the Bible uses like sensory type language when the coin drops from facts you've heard about Jesus to the coin dropping into your heart and you believe it, right? So that's what they're seeing with. They're seeing Christ crucified with the eyes of their hearts. It's like what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 Ephesians 1.18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. That's what's happening here in Galatians. So when verse one says, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, when you look at that, the wording of that, that means Jesus Christ, his crucifixion was portrayed graphically to them. They had heard the facts of the gospel message and they, then they began to see it with their heart, didn't they? to taste it, to believe it, to delight in it. The gospel message hit their hearts and they saw Jesus Christ as crucified. So again, their hearts were moved when it was just facts about Jesus to the facts of the gospel message are about me, right? Just like what we saw last week in Galatians 2.20, where Paul says that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, that's what we're seeing here of how the Galatians came to trust in Jesus. They'd begun to rest in Jesus Christ alone and trust in his righteousness and acceptance based on his work for them and not their works for him or their righteousness for him. But then why are these verses in the Bible? But what happens? Someone bewitches the Galatian church. Someone casts a spell on them is what that means. And this is the same problem many of us as Christians still have today. The bewitching of we believe that we're justified, made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but then the shift happens. But then I have to work really, really hard to follow Jesus in my life we shift from the gospel that brought us in. And then we think to grow in our walk with Jesus, it's on us to make it happen. We believe that what gets me in is Christ's finished work on the cross. But then again, to advance, to make the grade, right? Well, that's on us to make it happen. That's the bewitching here that's happening. And he's gonna unpack this through three different arguments. And when we start believing this, just like the Galatians did, that salvation is through Christ alone, but that our growth in Christ is all on us. When that happens, we're being bewitched, to use the words of Scripture. We're being enchanted again by works-based righteousness of trying to earn God's acceptance. And you know what, when you think about this? 
who bewitches us like that? In Galatians, someone from outside, it was the Judaizers we've seen. This group of people bewitched them by trying to add on to the gospel. So it can be voices just like in Galatians that bewitch us towards this, but we only listen to those voices if it resonates with and aligns the voice we're already listening to inside of ourselves, right? Because have you ever thought about like who lies to you the most? It's yourself, right? It's your self-talk. You lie to yourself the most. So when you hear this bewitching of, yeah, you have to follow Jesus and it's on you to do it, you're getting bewitched and you're bewitching yourself in the dynamics of your heart. Because we've already seen in Galatians and we're gonna continue to see it, our desire is to make the gospel Jesus plus something. And that desire is really, really strong. We want to do more than we want to believe for our acceptance with God. But God's word over and over again, and explicitly so in Galatians 3, says no. It calls it out. So what's happening here, just kind of as backdrop, have this in your minds. It's like what happened in John chapter 6, verses 28 through 29, where these people come up to Jesus and just listen to these two short verses, how many times the word do is. John 6, 28 through 29, these people come to Jesus and say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. So this is true in salvation and it's true in our sanctification. There's believing versus doing. And we can nod our head to that, but how does Paul make his point in verses one through five? Okay, he's gonna call three witnesses in our text. His first witness in verses one through five, he calls the witness of the Spirit. He asked them, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by works of the law or by hearing the gospel message with faith? And the implication of verse three is huge. It's one of the biggest implications in your life as a Christian and in our life as a local church. To echo what Todd said last week, memorize Galatians 2.20, and I'd say I'll throw candy at you too if you memorize Galatians 3.3, okay? Really important. Verse three, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that argument is so important, and that's gonna undergird the rest of what we're gonna see in the book of Galatians. God's word is crystal clear. You receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and that's a really, really big deal, okay? Just real quick, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was promised over and over again, right? Like in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Joel 2 says, "'And it shall come to pass afterward "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh.'" And when you notice through the Old Testament, maybe you're going through a Bible read-through, when it talks about the Spirit, the Spirit is always on someone, right? But now for those who are in Christ, and we see this right here in Galatians 3, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, not just on us, but in us. The Holy Spirit living in us when we become a Christian, And the work of the Spirit in us is to focus us, focus the eyes of our hearts on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why he calls his first witness. How'd you receive the Spirit? 
Was it by believing the gospel message with faith or trying really, really hard, right? And it's obvious what the answer is. It's by receiving the gospel message in faith because the way the spirit entered your life when you became a Christian is the way the Holy Spirit advances you in the life of the Christian. That's the implication here we see in Galatians 3. And then just real quick, to prove his argument, look at verses two and five. They kind of look like they're repeating the same thing, but if you notice, they're in two different tenses, right? Verse two is in the past tense about the Spirit. You received the Spirit. And then verse five is in the present tense saying, the Spirit is doing all this amazing work in your midst. And how did you receive this Spirit, right? The Spirit was working not through them trying really hard, and through their works of the law, it was through them believing the gospel message through faith. And the same is true for us today. The Holy Spirit in your life, Christian, in our life, church, focuses us on Jesus and his finished work. And then the life and the freedom and the power and the joy and the obedience and the fruit of the Spirit flows in us and out of us as we focus on our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So just like sit in Galatians 3 for a minute. He says the Holy Spirit is doing powerful work in your midst. And the same is true for us now. Church in Galatia, church in Gresham. And it might look a little different now than it did then, but think about for all of us in this room that are Christians, think about the miracle God did to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh to raise you from the dead, that is still happening, right? The Spirit is at work among us, and the Spirit focuses us on the work of Jesus Christ. So the problem here, right, of thinking you come to saving faith through Christ alone, but then it's on you to work really, really hard to grow as a Christian, that's the problem. Paul's calling out. He's saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And if we're being honest, that's the same problem that's deep in our hearts too. Maybe for you, you've been like really disappointed lately in your own like performance as a Christian or your growth in Jesus or to use like theological language, your own sanctification. Or maybe if you're being honest, you like look around and you're kind of like disappointed in the sanctification of others around you. But do you know what's happening there? It's the same thing as what we see in Galatians. We've lost sight of justification, and then we're starting to make it all about us trying really, really hard. There's this guy named Richard Lovelace, and he wrote this about the relationship between our sanctification and our justification. Just listen to this quote. Much that we have interpreted as a defect of sanctification in church people is really an outgrowth of their loss of bearing with respect to justification. You lose sight of justification, that impacts how you grow as a Christian. That's what Paul's calling out right here in Galatians 3. And that's the dynamic that's in all of our lives too, and it is for many Christians our eyes start to get focused more on what we do or don't do for Jesus rather than what he's done for us. And then we get sideways and then we start to drift and we're bewitching ourselves, right? We become bewitched when our priority and focus inevitably moves from Christ's work to our work. I would encourage you this week, just 
What's your self-talk like? When you're interacting with your brothers and sisters in Christ at Gresham Bible Church, do you talk more about the things you're doing or others should be doing or what Christ has done for you? And if we're not careful, we're going to fall into the same trap that the Galatians did. And why is that? It's because we're made of the same stuff. Because it's hardwired into us, just like the Galatians. We're hardwired to trust more in what's quantifiable to us, what we can measure, what we can see, and that's our own works-based righteousness, our own performance. And because of that, we have to be consistently disenchanted with a self-gospel of works-based righteousness. And we have to be re-enchanted with the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's the point Paul is making here in Galatians. And the reason why is because the fuel and the traction for your growth as a Christian, for your sanctification, is from the life and the power and the energy of your justification. That's what Paul's calling out right here. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Okay? We never advance past grace We don't improve on the gospel with our own performance, and we never graduate to deeper things than the gospel. We just go deeper into it, right? That's what we're seeing all over Galatians. They're just gospel belief problem, and he doesn't move past the gospel. He just says, Galatians, you're not understanding and appropriating the gospel, and he takes them deeper into it. Because the gospel is not just the way we begin the Christian life, it's also how we grow as Christians. So this is a message, I don't know about you, like even yesterday and this morning preparing this message on today, this is a message I need on repeat in my heart every single day. And I bet a lot of you do too. The, basically the prayer from this is, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, right? So now in verses six through nine, Paul's just gonna continue in his argument. He is not letting them off the hook. He's trying to unbewitch them here. So he's going to help the Galatians get unbewitched. And that brings us to our second emphasis in verses 6 through 9. How was Abraham made righteous? Look down at verses 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right? So he just continues his argument. You're being bewitched because you don't really understand the gospel. And let me call my second witness. Here's Abraham. And then he's going to refer back almost to the beginning of the story, right? Back to Genesis 15. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6, where God made a promise to Abraham, right? That he would make Abraham a great nation that would provide forgiveness and salvation for the whole world. But there was a problem in Genesis 15. Abraham was decrepit. He was really old. How am I going to father a child? How is that going to happen, right? But Abraham believes God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He trusts God to be true to his word and keep his promises. And so then this righteousness, if you think about, well, why is Paul using this example in the argument? The reason why he's saying, okay, these people that are trying to add on to the gospel, it's Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus circumcision. He's like, I'm gonna go in the way back machine. 
I'm gonna go back before Moses. I'm gonna go back to Abraham. And I'm even gonna go back before Abraham was even circumcised. How was Abraham made righteous? By believing God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So think about that. This salvation message was going to happen not through Abraham earning it, right? That's not how it was attained, but salvation would come through God's intervention and it will happen through one person, the promised Messiah. So this gospel message says it right there in the Bible in front of you was for all the nations and that included the Galatians, right? And the gospel is news. This gospel is news that impacts every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every ethnic group, right? That's what he's saying here. This is the gospel message that was preached back in Genesis 15. And just think of the important implication of that. Like that can just kind of like go over our head. The gospel is what the Galatians are getting mixed up. The gospel has always been the same gospel. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Right here, Paul says, they were saved by looking ahead, by taking God at his word and looking forward to the promised Messiah, looking forward to the cross. The gospel message wasn't like as full and clear as it is for now, for us, but they were looking ahead. That's how they were saved. And then in the New Testament and us now, we look back on the cross and we're saved, right? We look back on the finished work of Jesus. So maybe for you, and I'd encourage you to, to talk with someone in our church about it. I'd love to hang out with you over coffee and talk this through. Maybe you have a misconception in redemptive history of how people were saved. And that's really, really important that we're clear and we're in alignment with what God's word says. And it's right here for us on the pages of scripture in Galatians chapter three. Todd challenged us to go back and forth with Martin Luther quotes in Galatians. So challenge accepted, brother. Here's what Martin Luther says about this dynamic of law versus the gospel. Luther says, the law says do, and it's never done. The gospel says believe, for it's already done, and that's where the power to to change comes from, right? So this do and done. The gospel has always been, it's right here in Genesis 15, it's right here in Galatians 3, the gospel has always been Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And how can I say it? Just real quick, we're Gresham Bible Church, we want to see it on the pages of scripture, not just whoever's standing up here in front is telling you. I can say that because of one word, it's in verse 6. The word is counted. The word means credited. It's an accounting idea, an accounting word right? Abraham was credited. He was counted as righteous. It's like the idea of um, some of you got uh, a fraudulent email from me a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm a Nigerian prince. You are too. Congratulations. And maybe it was an email like this, right? Hey, congratulations. You've been transferred a hundred million dollars into your account. But what if that was real? Like what if someone really transferred a hundred million dollars into your account? Well, now it's yours, It's in your name to do with as you please. That $100 million is counted to you. It's been credited to you. That's what this word means here in verse six. And that's what it means when we become a Christian. It's when we stop relying on our own righteousness and we rely on Christ's righteousness and then the riches of his righteousness are credited to us. And we didn't bring anything to the table to earn that or to work that out. We just believe and we look to the cross, right? 
That's when Christ's righteousness, to use theological language, is imputed to you. It's credited to you. You're now counted as righteous. The holy God of the universe, God the Father, sees you as perfectly righteous because you're in the righteousness of his son. You have a righteousness you didn't earn. You have a righteousness that was given to you, that was counted, credited to you. There's so much here. These verses are packed. I get it. I'd encourage you this week to go back and read it and delight in it, but I don't want us to miss what, what this means. It means, in the argument of Paul here in Galatians, it means that salvation is not through how you attain it, but salvation is through atonement because of the nature of what justification is here in Abraham's story. Paul's telling the Galatians, you don't add to the gospel to get in the door. You don't add to the gospel to perform like a Christian. It's the gospel, Jesus plus nothing, and that's everything for how you get in and how you advance. The only way you're counted as righteous is in the it is finished work of the gospel. That's what we're seeing right here, thus saith God's word, right? And we've already been seeing in Galatians, what does Paul do? We know this. I don't want us to miss this. When he encounters gospel misconceptions, right? Seeing people's lives out of step with the gospel, he doesn't assume the gospel. He dives deeper into it. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, let me make an argument. Let me call my witness. Here's Abraham all the way back at the beginning of the story. And that's the story we're called to live into today as gospel people too. Paul again is showing us, Galatians just is crystal clear. We can't miss it. We start out as Christians through the gospel and then you don't graduate to some better plan. You don't go to the AP class of your own performance and how you work out your salvation in your own strength. Yes, you work it out. Yes, you obey. But the foundation of that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the reason I can say that is because the very nature, the very DNA of what the gospel is that Galatians is showing us right here. So this brings us to our third and final emphasis, right? Paul called his first witness. How'd you receive the spirit? He called his second witness. What about Abraham? And then he's gonna call his third witness. And it's through the question of how is the curse of the law removed? And his third witness is Christ crucified. And these are some of the most important verses in the whole book of Galatians. So look down verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Wow. So in these verses, we see that if you rely, that's the word right there, if you rely on the works of the law to make yourself righteous, you're living under a curse. And this is because in order to be made righteous by the law, you have to keep it perfectly. And that's the whole point. No one can do that. 
So you're living under a curse. And Paul here, what does he do? He quotes the Old Testament multiple times, Deuteronomy, Habakkuk, to show us that it's righteousness alone in Christ. So I just, I just want you to like bask in these verses, like feed on them, delight in them. Like if the gospel is the sun, we are looking in at the very burning center core of the sun here in verses 10 through 14. Just look at it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, it says. And how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. And then verse 14 has two whys stacked on top of each other. Why did Jesus do this? So that in Christ Jesus, the gospel would go to all the nations. And then the second why, so that we, in other words, we here today, all who believe in Christ Jesus might receive the promised spirit through faith. He starts with the argument of the spirit and the spirit's again bookending here at the end. And verse 13, when he says, Christ became a curse for us, I I want you just to have the backdrop of it in your mind so it doesn't just become Christianese words that you become too familiar with. Verse 13 is against the backdrop of the Old Testament context, right? Where someone was hung on a tree, a criminal was executed, most often by being stoned to death, and then his body was placed on a stake of wood or on a tree to warn and show everybody, hey, this is what happens. When you break the law that demands death, you die and you're hung on a tree. And look how Paul uses that argument here in Galatians 3. Jesus Christ took upon himself the curse that sinners deserve. Sinners like me and sinners like each and every one of you. Jesus hung in our place and absorbed the punishment for sin each of us rightly deserve. Why? To redeem us from the curse of the law. Why? Because God loves us. Why? Just because he loves us. You did not credit that. And what flows from Christ's substitutionary work on the cross of becoming the curse for us, what flows from it is salvation for all who believe, for Jews and Gentiles, for all nations, right? For all who lay down their sin of relying on the law, of relying on themselves to earn grace, of relying on their own performance for their own righteousness, laying that down and trusting in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what happens when that great exchange takes place in your heart? It's right here in Galatians 3. You receive the Holy Spirit through faith. And what's the Spirit do in your life? He fixes your gaze, the eyes of your heart, the center of your being on Jesus Christ. And by doing that, the Spirit shows you the way to grow as a Christian is the way you got in to the club in the first place, the gospel. You focus on the gospel. You grow deeper into it, and then you do grow as a Christian. You grow deeper in sanctification. You obey because you want to, and that gets underneath the motives of your heart. And then it's not just obeying a checklist of what it means to be a better Christian. Paul's focusing them on the gospel, and God's word is focusing us on the gospel and how it works in our day-to-day lives as Christians. 
The Spirit's job, when you think about it, is to reveal to us our unbelief, to grant us repentance from trusting in our own righteousness, and then to lead us and show us and give us new delight and appetite to rest in and trust the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's how you grow as a Christian. That's how you're not bewitched because your focus is on Jesus and not yourself. That dynamic of having our justification fuel our sanctification, we're going to see this in the rest of Galatians. You could be thinking right now, well, that promotes lazy Christianity. No, it doesn't. It promotes you laying your life down to go to the nations to tell people about Jesus. It means you risk your own reputation. You're not ashamed of the gospel. If you're going to really live like what Galatians is going to show us to, you got to be laser focused and your roots planted deep in the gospel. Or maybe on the outside, you're going to look like you're living a really good Christian life. All you're doing is behaving really good and you're living under the curse of self-righteousness. That's what we're seeing here in Galatians. Because the power to do the Christian life, if you haven't already experienced this, you will. You're going to have Christian performance burnout. The power to do the Christian life only comes from being soaked in the fuel of what's been done by Jesus. J.I. Packer said it like this, the holiest Christians are not those most concerned about holiness as such, but those whose minds and hearts and goals and purposes and love and hope are most fully focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The way to grow as a Christian, the way to advance in the Christian, the way to get unstuck in your walk as a Christian is to focus on Jesus. So as we move to a close, I know this is a lot, but this is like a gospel feast that we have right here, an all-you-can-eat buffet of gospel goodness. And I want to apply this in two ways for us right now. And maybe if you're like me, you can even feel God's spirit using God's word to like till the soil of your heart. Like there's a reason why we've been in this text this week. And maybe it's just been for me. I don't know, but I'm sure it's good for you too. So two things. This passage should lead us, should knit to confession and repentance. Confession and repentance of trusting in your own righteousness more than Christ's righteousness. And maybe you're like, no, I don't struggle with that. I'd encourage you to consider the possibility maybe you've bewitched yourself. Lay that down. Confess and repent of it and focus your heart, the eyes of your heart on Jesus. Focus more and rely more on Jesus' perfect work for you rather than your work for him and just enjoy the power and the joy that is going to bring into your walk as a Christian. Because if you're relying on works for your acceptance with God, really you're relying on your own righteousness, and that's only going to disappoint you and crush you. Because living for in the law to save you in your own righteousness, God's word says it right there, you're under a curse. And again, if we're being honest, we're probably all more like the Galatians and what we want to admit and care to believe. The gospel shows us, doesn't it? Our tendency is to trust more in our own works, our own righteousness, our own performance, and that's why we need the gospel. And we never advance past the gospel. 
So again, I just, I just want you to sit in this. I need to sit in this. If you individually or us as a church becomes more focused on our behavior or our performance or even like the behavior of other people, yeah, they really need to hear this message. If that's our focus, then really our focus is more on us than on Christ crucified, just like the story of the church I read to you at the beginning of our message. The gospel draws out, doesn't it, the motives of our heart, and it goes underneath our performance, underneath our behavior, and shows us why. And then it gives you the power and the fuel to actually live into what God calls us to do, and that's a power you don't have in yourself. It's only in Christ. So I want to encourage you today, sit in this, pray through this, confess and repent of this, and focus on the finished work of Christ crucified. Because again, Galatians is showing us over and over, and the reason it does is because we need to hear it over and over. We don't grow past the gospel. We only grow deeper into it. And then second application of this, as, as we want to do, and we do consistently from the pulpit here at GBC, this is the kind of church we are. We're going to hear the gospel. We're going to delight in the gospel. Like if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus and you're, you're not a Christian, like we say often, we're really glad you're here. I'm just curious what you're thinking about this. And I would encourage you to direct your unbelief towards your unbelief. Be skeptical of your skepticism. Just look how good God is in these verses. Christ, the creator, the sustainer, Christ Jesus became a curse for you on the cross to take the curse of your sin and credit you his righteousness. So whatever is like preventing you from coming to trust in Jesus, just be honest with yourself and take it off the table. The reason you're not coming to him isn't because he's not good. He's proven for all time at the cross. He is tremendously more than we can hope for, imagine, good and gracious and kind. So if you're trusting in or living for things like for your righteousness or for your acceptance, and it's anything other than Jesus, those things are only going to come back to curse you to crush you, to disappoint you, to exhaust you. There's only one kind of righteousness, one kind of acceptance we need, and it's through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God's word has shown us today, hasn't it? What got us in is how we grow, and that's the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I want to give you a minute to think, reflect, talk to God about what you've heard today. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond by taking communion together. So a moment for quiet reflection with the Lord. Father, we praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We praise you for your work of the gospel. We praise you, Lord, that you are for us and not against us in Christ Jesus. We confess and repent. We're prone to trust in other things for our righteousness prone to think and feel like it's all on us to work really hard to earn your acceptance. Through your spirit today, satisfy us more and more with your gospel. Make us a church family who is stable and steadfast, not shifting our hope from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.